Well, here we go. Another edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. And whew, there's been plenty of reason to drink some bourbon over the last 10 games if you're a fan of the St. Louis Blues. And you won't know whether it's the injury bug on the ice or, or anything causing some heartburn. But so we welcome in Tim Woodburn along with John Hadley. I'm Chris Kerber. Fellas, we've got some hockey to talk about this weekend. Holy smokes, it starts with injuries. I don't care. You know what? How about this one? Let, let me let me rephrase right off the bat. I know in sports, we, you're, you're not allowed to talk about excuses. Your goal is to go out and win every game. Uh, but when, but there's a difference between excuses and realities when it comes to injuries that basically have, uh, well, 12 people from a championship team a year and a half ago that have either left via contract uh, retired due to injury, or now out because of injury, there's a certain reality to how a team plays when you compare it to that season. Yeah, I, it, it is very, very difficult. And I've had conversations now for 48 hours with guys locally here in St. Louis about this hockey team. And it is it is what it is. I mean, a deep team means... That you can that you you can endure two maybe three injuries and still compete. Well, the, the Blues are well past that standard. You, you you no one has the type of depth to make up for this team at this point in time. So I think it's you know it, it's really sort of unfair as a whole to judge this team or to assume that this team is what it is for the rest of the season. Now, individually, there's there's some guys that you can point to, you know, here and there. But collectively, you know, that when we started this season, we started this show, you could say that the Blues, man for man, in any given game, had the better players it's 75, 80% of the time. I'm not so sure that you're even at 50% right now taking the lineup that is vis-a-vis what will be in time. So the conversations I've had is the Blues just need to maintain so that they're in playoff position. And once they're healthy, make their mark. And once this team is healthy, they will make a mark in this league. And that's where Craig Ruby earns every last cent of his paycheck is right now. Because the most impressive thing that he ever did as a coach of the Blues, aside from winning the Cup, was his demeanor after the hand pass playoff game lost to the Sharks in overtime two years ago and his demeanor was the reverse Jedi mind trick that he pulled on the team of hey we just we put this behind you and let's move forward you know he's been kind of salty in his post-game press conferences this year after losses and I was very impressed by his demeanor last night because I think he's doing it again he's doing the reverse Jedi mind he's he's got to start selling to his team you guys are good enough to win and he was saying things last night like this team's going to win a lot of games. We're, we're competitive. I like our competitive drive. So I was, you know, for, for a guy who just lost his third game in a row, he was extremely positive. And, and, and that all starts from him and down through the team. Because if you start getting the woe is me attitude in a locker room, uh, Chris, as I'm sure you know, as long as you've been in pro hockey, um, that's an avalanche. It's pretty hard to stop. Well, it is. And I'll, I'll tell you, they're going to need it. Now, how do you do what they need to do? You look at the standings right now. We'll get in, in just a little bit here, folks. We're going to get a little bit more deep into the the West Division standings and break down how we things this, see this shaken up because you had 
Arizona down 3 nothing last night to Anaheim, and Anaheim gives up the lead and loses in overtime. You've got the Coyotes. You've got the Kings. And this Kings team is playing really, really well right now. You've got Minnesota on a four-game win streak, you know, coming off of their, their COVID situation. And they were playing well before that. So the standings are something that you've got to take a deep dive into a little bit right now as teams are getting to that 20-game mark. And remember, you're not far away from the midway point of a season in a 56-game season. But, fellas, the key for the St. Louis Blues is how do you survive right now? You cannot survive with a bunch of overtime losses. You cannot survive with regulation losses. You're going to have to find a way to get some wins. And I want to start with a guy. I'm going to put a lot of this on Jordan Bennington right now. And I'm not putting it on it saying something to this point is his fault. What I'm saying is if you have one equalizer for the St. Louis Blues, in my opinion right now, the first equalizer is the goaltender. They have a good goaltender. He's 1-4-0 in his last five starts, but he's held the opposition to two goals in four of those five starts. I mean, he's getting it done. Unfortunately, the reality of it is he may have to find a way in some of these games, and last night's game against the Kings would have been one of those examples to make sure you're holding the team to one goal. And and I know that sounds like, holy cow, how the hell do you put all that on a goaltender? But I'm going to tell you what, you're going to need some of those games. You're going to have to find a way to win some games, one nothing and 2-1 to one right now. Yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, I, in, in the truest sense, I don't know how you can attack it any other way. Because you, what, you, what you're doing is looking for a place to hang your hat, and preferably with a hat rack, made of solid wood and sturdy and that's what that's what Fittington is because you really can't do it anywhere else uh, I mean you, you you basically have lost your best defenseman in theory um, you've lost one of your top five defensemen I mean if I sat there and I told you hey I just rattled off the names Tarasenko Schwartz Thomas Bozik Barbashev oh that's that's a pretty good start to putting together a really nice top nine line or top three lines Oh, no, those are the fours of losing without. When you talk about Gunnarsson and Pareko, those are two pretty good defensemen to be missing. When we started the year, we were talking about, hey, will uh, Pernovic get an opportunity to prove himself? Will we see him? What can he do? Well, here's a case in point where he may have been afforded that opportunity. Well, no, he can't because he's hurt. Yada, yada, yada. As you said, excuses are excuses, but there are times that the quantity of excuses equates into a reason. And that's what we're seeing right now. I was not being facetious when I said, I hope the Blues can maintain the situation that as they get healthy or healthier, that they can make a run. Because I'm not so sure if they can, Curb. I mean, losing Gunnarsson for the year, not having career of it, you know, depending upon just how bad Pareko is, how many more games he's going to miss, if he's less than 100%. You've already cut into issues defensively. We know what's going on with the forward. So where else can you go? Well, you rely on a guy that carried you to a Stanley Cup. And unfortunately, being good is not enough. He's, he's, if the Blues are going to maintain, he's likely going to once again have to be great for an extended period of time. Not good, but great. Tim, I'll throw this one at you. The other area, and and this is yeah, right. So so Jordan Bennington is going to have to be, and 
I mean, it, it's that's just the reality of it. Uh, un- unfortunately, sometimes there's very little room for a goaltender to make a mistake anyway. But right now for the St. Louis Blues, there's no room for mistakes to be made in net. The other area that has got to be a difference maker right now for this hockey team, and it has been anything but through 20 games, is the power play. Like if there's one specific area on the team where, yes, even while you're dealing with some injuries to Thomas and some other key guys, you still have two very solid, one really good power play unit that has got to find a way to produce for you, and that's going to alleviate some pressure all the way around. There's no doubt, and the fact of the matter is the Blues have already used 25 skaters this year, and most of them have, like the bottom 10, for example, have either you know zero or one point on the season. You know, it's, you're going to have to start getting a, a, a knocking goal from McEachern here and a, and a, a, a jamming rebound from Blaze there. I mean, you're, you're going to have to rely on some other guys to start stepping up because with as many injuries as this team has, O'Reilly and Braun uh, and Shen and Hoffman, these guys, you, you can't just rely on four guys to do all your scoring. You know, we're at the 20 game mark. This is the one quarter mark of what a full NHL season would be. You know, Troy Krug has one goal. Dustin Falk has three assists. Dustin Falk's on a 12 assist pace this season. I realize he played great minutes, but guys are going to have to step up offensively and take some chances because when you when you grind out zero or one or two goals every night, something's got to change because if not, you're not going to make the playoffs. If the season ended today, the Blues would not be in the playoffs. They have the 11th worst winning percentage in the, in the National Hockey League. That's how bad the sky has fallen. They have the worst record in their division the last 10 games. Craig Ruby has no other choice and no other option but to continue to push, 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 press, 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 coach, 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 and 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 ask for an elevated game from the muckers and grinders that were on the taxi squad or that were in Utica three weeks ago. John, it's hard and, to say. And, it, well, and, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say. I mean, when you when you when your forwards collectively, when your forwards collectively are on a pace for sixteen power play goals, that's not good. Listen, that's so not good. That's a- there's there's two. You're you're absolutely right. I'm watching a game last night. There's four minutes and 47 seconds of power play time in that game. Two full power, uh, 27 seconds. Two full power play times, and then and then the 27 seconds after the minors were taken. Colorado or um, LA started on the power play, and then of course they they took the penalty when Justin Falk drew the the interference call. The reality of it is is that top unit. Consisting now, Oscar Sunquist is on it now, but consisting of Sunquist, Shen, O'Reilly, Krug, and Perron, they're averaging one shot per sixty seconds of power play time. And so, when you do interviews on the different shows, John, whether it be your station or 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 on one hundred and one, whatever whatever it is. You know, the question is, well, how do you fix it? Well, I, I got to think. I mean, I've got to think it just comes down to shooting the puck. I mean, I, which I realize is trying to brush this with a crayon. I mean, it's not quite as easy as it sounds. But a shooting, shooting, shooting mentality has got to be part of it. You've got to figure that penalty killings are good enough that, and goaltenders are good enough that if you're only really, if you're averaging one shot per 60 seconds on the power play for that unit, you are helping the penalty-killing unit a whole heck of a lot. That's just not moving the puck quickly enough and shooting the puck enough. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I was not jesting. Uh, I was not jesting when I was talking about Bennington having to be great. I mean, you you look at Bennington's numbers. Tim, you'll go with this stuff. You can have my background. You look at Bennington's numbers, and just just the raw figures, save percentage, goals against average. Bennington is actually having a better regular season up to this point than he had his year in 2019, two years ago. His numbers are better. His results aren't as good. I mean, that's that's. Bennington is not the reason this team is having issues. And this team was having issues prior to injuries, but you you sort of sensed, okay, they were playing well enough they were going to overcome. Well, that was what they dealt here. And there, there is still too many guys that simply are not producing that you had to expect to produce. Um, well, that, the, the bottom line you know, is the power play I makes mean, a I difference. Can, I can, you know, I can sit there and I can name them. Uh, but uh, it, it just, it serves no purpose to name them because we know who they are. I mean, there are guys who just, there are guys who are big bodied human beings with God given talent that just, don't seem to get it. And I'm not going to say they don't seem to care. They just don't seem to get it. And actually, you know what? I was looking at last year's numbers uh, for Bennington and not... uh, uh, not 2019. The 18-19. Yeah, yeah, the 18-19 season. You you know what, though, Tim? Uh, Let me throw this at you. You called hockey, what, 10, 12 years? Every single game? Okay, 10 years. What what we saw and and, and what you saw, and this is no different, and it actually plays a role in here. When somebody gets called up from the minor leagues to fill in a role, sometimes they get called up and it's a role they're not used to. Sometimes they might get less ice time. But then typically at the minor league level, somebody else has to fill that role that's in, and it could be long-term. Yes, you hope for opportunities. So as John's saying, look, whether it's Sanford, whether it's Blay, whether it's you know, whether it's Barbashev, who was actually playing pretty well prior to, to getting hurt on that line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Whether it's Austin Paganski, whether it's Mackenzie McEachern, or whether it's, uh, you know, if, if Scott Perunovich had gotten a chance, uh, or, or Nico Mikola continuing to get a chance, well, whatever it is, any one of these guys, there's two things that happen. One, you've got to give them a chance to show what they can do. Sometimes, maybe that's just not their role. And, and so you get a little disappointed when you see flashes. You're like, okay, look at that move. Look what he could do. Look at this. But they just not may not be the player, for example, to do that for 20 minutes like a Braden Shen or like a David Perron or like a Ryan O'Reilly. And so what you do find is by putting them in those roles, you actually get more definition of how you need to play them to be successful. Isn't that how it works out? Yeah, and it, at some point, yeah, you're right. And at some point, the injury madness has to end. I mean, I mean, the Blues have literally lost one player in five of the last six games for an undetermined amount of time, if not the season in Gunnarsson's case. So, you know, no other team in the NHL has gone through that in the last week and a half. So the Blues' three wins in the last ten games is to be expected. Having said that, if Colton Pareko is out for the season and Carl Gunnarsson is out for the season and Tarasenko 
still is a question mark, although I realize he's key. If those guys aren't a part of this team, uh, the surprising nature of the style of play of the Arizona Coyotes and the Minnesota Wild dominating in Colorado last night, I, I think the Blues are going to have a lot on their hands to get through the next 20 games without the star players that they have, Thomas Schwartz, you know, they keep on going. They, uh, they, they have to sort of ride the wave of neutrality right now. And, and all you can really expect is this team to hopefully average a point per game until many of those guys come back because this team that they put on the ice last night, it's not going to be a playoff contending team. Right now. Two- I mean, they play hard. They play hard. They play tough. They only lost two one. Uh, they, I thought they outplayed the teams in the first period, but over the long term, it's just not going to be a playoff team. Right. And, and well, and okay. And, and number one, we don't know for sure what is the story on Colton Pareko there. So we got our fingers crossed on that one because that, that injury, is, other than some reporting, has been very much undisclosed by the team. But, but that, that, that leads us into then breaking down this division here a little bit, fellas. This, this is fascinating. You have to look at the, at the West division right now, like you would look at, um, a live table in Premier League soccer. You know how once once the weekend starts, if you follow the standings in the English Premier League, they call it a live table because once a game starts, they put that in the games played column and they don't adjust anything else till the till the end of the game. The reason I say that is the St. Louis Blues have played twenty games on the season already. That's twenty games. Now that's more than any other team in the division. I know now Anaheim has played twenty as well, but. Nobody else has played more than 20. Vegas has played four fewer games at the time that we put this podcast out there. LA, two fewer. Arizona, one fewer. So that's a good sign there. But Arizona's moved within one point of you. Minnesota, four fewer games is just two points back. And then, of course, Colorado with four fewer games is still three points back. The fact that you played under 500 against Arizona... Right, you play 500 against San Jose. You then lose two to Los Angeles. Has put you in quite a bind. When this was when you needed to really start making hay, because you're playing Vegas and Colorado and Minnesota ad nauseum in the second half of this season. I'm not even sure, Tim, that averaging one point a game. I'm not 500 hockey is going to cause you to lose ground. When right now six of the eight teams in the division are playing 600 level hockey. It's a numbers game, as John said. You know, it's a shortened season. Every game matters one and a half instead of just one, uh, essentially. So, and and with the injuries and the severity of the injuries, it's just what I can't get over. I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and whine and complain about injuries being the cause for this team's collapse, but but the severity of what they have had to endure. Uh, I wonder if any NHL team this season is even close to the amount of band games lost of guys that were on their opening night roster with the St. Louis Blues. Well, uh, I'll tell you one team in particular that people need to be concerned about, and that's Minnesota. Because not only have they played four fewer games, they played six fewer home games. And the fact of the matter is, this is a team that at least at this stage looks to be better than many expected. Although there were some noted hockey experts that pointed to Minnesota and said they could have been the sleeper in the division. But, you know, that's, that's one. If you're, if you're looking for ways for this team to somehow, some ways survive and thrive and knock on wood, 
and must be relatively healthy. It's going to be the number of remaining games against the Minnesota Wild and, in a sense, controlling your own destiny. Because Colorado is going to be there. Vegas is going to be there. Um, if you're if you're looking at sort of a way of making yourself number three and not worrying about being number four, the Blues have to take care of business. Every one of those games against Minnesota from this point forward could be considered a playoff game. That's you know, my, you know what's happened here. That's is, my view. Well, absolutely, but you know what's really happened here is when you you looked at this division prior to the start of the season. There's no doubt that the big three teams were St. Louis, Colorado, and Las Vegas, frankly, in any order. Now, John, you're right. Without injuries, you'll take that St. Louis team against any one of, of those two teams, and you'll feel very confident in how that's going to go. But for the next five, you have to figure you've got another three weeks for Robert Thomas just to be reevaluated. Remember, that's a big key when a team puts out a release. It doesn't say he'll be back in this amount of time. It says reevaluated. Okay, so... You've got another three weeks. We're, we are talking essentially the last week of March. So let's just say through the month of March, before you're talking about getting uh, one key back like Robert Thomas, you're talking into April before Ivan Barbashev becomes a possibility for you. We don't know the update on Tarasenko officially. You figure he's still a couple weeks out. I can tell you that he did definitely. He's getting closer because he started doing some battle drills with Steve Ott during the morning skate yesterday. That was good to see. But the reality of it is, what was likely now a two-team race at the top with Vegas and Colorado, you have to legitimately and fairly Put Minnesota in that three-team race now with a record of 10-6 and six and only 16 games played. They've played the same number of games as Colorado, and they're leading them by one point, and they've got a plus-10 goal differential, while Colorado has a plus-8. So I, I have to think, and this is fair, th- this may upset Blues fans, but again, realism is part of the, the deal here. Because of the injuries and the play we've seen in the last 10 games, you have got to figure that it's, it's now St. Louis... Arizona, Los Angeles, as, as the three next teams that are really going to be battling for maybe that one playoff spot if they can't keep the Minnesota Wild or one of those other three teams close. I don't, I don't know if, if, I don't know if you at, can look at it any other way. No, I mean, if you look at it logically, uh, you know, Minnesota is going to wind up playing nearly 60% of their schedule at home, too. And again... You know, there's not fans in the stands, this, that, and the other thing. I would still rather play a hockey game on my home ice than anywhere else. It's that simple. Oh, absolutely. You know, just the the raw numbers tell one story. You know, you you start peeling off layers. And it becomes even that much more impressive for Minnesota with the discrepancy between games played uh, at home and on the road. But furthermore, as we talk about, well, maybe that's one of the Blues' paths you know, in handling Minnesota themselves, controlling their own destiny. Well, Minnesota can look at it the same way. And this is this is the Blues' opportunity. You know, it, it's more than just coincidence. You know, like when they won the cup, obviously they won the cup because they beat up on everybody on the road. I think they had more. I, I think they even had a losing record or a five hundred record at home in the playoffs year they won the cup. Uh, when the, when Arizona came in and smacked the Blues around on home ice last week. The Blues then went out to Arizona and they punched them right back on the road and won the first two. You know, 
this team, for whatever for whatever reason, under Craig Ruby, this team seems to be a better team on the road. And and I would normally concur with you that if I had my brothers, I would rather play a game on home ice fans or no fans. With this team, I I, I think uh, there there's cause to to reflect on that and say, hey, you're, you've won four out of twelve at home this year, and you're six and two on the road, and traditionally you've been a dominant road team. Uh, it, a road trip is the best team for this thing, kind of like the rain out was the best thing for the, the Bulls and Bull Durham. You know, I mean, they they this this is an ideal time to, to get away, concentrate on hockey, concentrate on the 18 guys you're going to put out there on a nightly basis, whoever they might be, and, uh, and, and try and get a system going and a cycle going and try and get some momentum going because this, this is a real, real dangerous part of the season. When you had the Barbashev six weeks, Gunnarsson season, Pareko being evaluated for back surgery, which would be a long-term disaster, uh, you know, this, this is the time. These, these next Ten games, shall I say, in a fifty-six game season. I think the next ten games will define whether or not the Blues are a playoff team or not. Well, the way another way to look at it is if they, if for some way, in some way, shape, or form, you end up where some of these teams can't play a full season, and because of COVID, and they have to go to points percentage, which is how the season ended a season ago, because of the slide in the last ten games for the St. Louis Blues of three, six, and one. What was spectacular of seven two and one after the first two games or first ten games and a win, and a points percentage close to seven hundred, right? You now have an overall points percentage of five fifty. That's the sec. That's the third worst in the division. That's not going to get you to the playoffs. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys this right now, and you can look this up. Look this 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 rings true. Maybe the single greatest indicator of whether or not you're a playoff team. As the season moves along, what do you think it is? Power play and penalty kill percentages combined. That's one thought. I would say point, would say point difference or goal differential. Goal differential. If you go back and look at the standings over the last 20 years, and I got bored one night and did this, look at goal differential. And there will be one, maybe two teams with a negative goal differential that made it. You know, and and I'd say just keep it in the last twenty years because that's when you know some of the playoff changes and 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 the rest of that happened. But right now, right now, all right, you you look at the win percent. I'm sorry, the points percentage in the West Division, and Vegas, number one, they're also plus fourteen. Number two, Minnesota, they're plus ten. Number three, Los Angeles. I'm sorry, Colorado, they're plus eight. And number four, Los Angeles, they're plus seven. And then you get into the teams with the negative goal differential. And it rings true in every in almost almost every single one of these divisions when you when you look at at, at how these things are shaken out. It, it's a fascinating thing, but you can sit there and go points points, I'm sorry, goal differential seems to be a real indicator on your chances of making the playoffs, or at least securing a spot sooner than later. If, if you're if you're right. in the if you're in the negative at minus two minus three minus four minus seven you're probably battling for one of the last playoff spots. Well, I, I, all all I've got to say is survive March, just survive March, right. because no matter what happens, Blues play 15 games in April, 14 are against the Avalanche, the Wild, or the Knights. In their last 20 games, 17 
or against the Avalanche, the Wild, or the Knights. So, any way you want to cut it, this is this is this is sort of a, uh, a two-tiered approach to the Blues getting to a point where they can make hay. And the first is surviving and starting to chip away at the momentum that the middling teams have had in this division against you. And in a sense, sort of putting them in their place only to set up for what will be a 20 game stretch drive of epic proportion, which will by the way, be a glorious way of setting yourself up for playoff hockey. Because that's again, pretty much what the blues are going to be doing heading into the month of April, beginning the playoffs a month early. I don't want to turn this. I want to turn to something really positive here when it comes to the St. Louis Blues. I'm actually going to give you a bit of a positive thought to bridge the gap here. Despite the record in the last ten games, as we mentioned, at three, six, and one, and you're disappointed in how things went against Arizona, San Jose, and now Los Angeles as those injuries have mounted. Dang it, have they been close? I mean, th- there is still a competitive fight in this team. You know, and and again, it's those those were some tight games against the LA Kings that you're you end up pretty high on with the structure and stuff that they have, but but it just shows you how fragile and how close winning and losing competition is right now in the National Hockey League. That said, I know his production has dropped just a little bit, but I'm watching him wheel that puck around last night. At one point, he brings it up from the wall just like Patrick Kane does at times. Guys, I'm telling you, I got my fingers crossed. I've I've seen enough to not get overly hoped or overly hyped, but I've got my fingers crossed because, uh, boy, is Jordan Cairo continuing to show some real dynamic electric moments on that ice that kind of puts you to the edge of your seat when he gets the puck on his stick. There's there's absolutely no doubt about it, and the, the unfortunate thing is, and what is a what, what has become a very frustrating season for St. Louis Blues fans, among, I admit, being one, um, it, it does overshadow at times the fact that, hey, a guy that we viewed as being not only a key part potentially this year, but an integral part of the very foundation of this team moving forward, I think has gone from a suspect to maybe overachieving or maybe being even better than we suspected. Tim, this guy, come on. What? Well, you know, I, I sort of kind of put him in, in, in my mindset in, in, in Robert Thomas mode, like Robert Thomas of last year, where he would dazzle, 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 and then not be able to finish. You know, Kyrou had exploded out of the gate, but, you know, we're at the we're at the – we're at the quarter pole, and and statistically, he, along with everybody else on the team, is, is sort of fading. I mean, he has two goals in his last 12 games, and he's taken 22 shots. I mean, that's a shooting percentage of uh, about 10%. You know, he's got he's got to finish. He, he's he's oh, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Tim, he's no Zach Sanford. So don't take well, don't take no. umbrage with me building he, up time. He, he's no he's Zach no, Sanford. No, I mean, and Zach Sanford, I mean. He's gone from neutral in my mind to a liability. I'm finally, I'm finally riding back seat on the Hadley Mobile on that. Um, but having said that, he's not the only one. I mean, if I were to ask both of you guys, 
how many guys on this team are exceeding your expectations of what they'd be able to do this year. Kyrie certainly would be in that column. I don't think that column is more than two or three deep. I think it's only one. It might be him. It's hard argument. I mean, because you know, who who else would you put in that category in terms of exceeding expectations? You're getting what you'd expect from Perron, O'Reilly, Shen. Um, from, um, I, I don't know that anybody else in the forward side is exceeding any expectations. You have far more not meeting expectations on the defensive side. The one that you could throw in there is Justin Falk, but there were those of us that were very positive about what we would see from Justin Falk, thinking that last year is much more of an aberration than anything. And uh, and I don't know. I, I guess, you know what? The only other one, maybe Mikola. Maybe Mikola in that case. I, I, would, I, would, I would say, yeah, on Falk, uh, just because of the, the minutes that he's had to commandeer, the, 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 the hard minutes he's had to play, the penalty kill minutes he's had to play, the fact that his plus minus is plus 14 on a team whose goal differential is minus one. That's amazing stat right there alone. Um, you know, him and Kyrie, those are, I mean, what, what, what player on this team, if the All-Star game were to be tomorrow, what player on this team would be an All-Star? I would say Bennington. And, and and maybe either Perron or Kyrie, and that's it. Well, I think four of their last five or six of their last eight losses have been by one goal. And you're not going to convince me that if this team had even been at 90%, that the winning percentage in those eight games that they lost wouldn't have been significantly higher. Six of the eight were by one goal. I agree with you. I agree with you. Oh, they're competing. There's no doubt they're competing. They're not, you know, it's like you said earlier, Chris. We're not um, the uh, we're not the the team that blew a three goal lead with nine minutes to go in regulation last night. We're not the team that got hammered six to two at home last night. That's Colorado, uh, Arizona. Uh, you know, Arizona looked awful last night in the first fifty minutes of the game. All of a sudden, they uprise and they close. The team is at least competitive, and and that, and that's what gives you hope. And that sort of echoes what Baruby said last night. When your head coach comes out after a third straight loss and said, hey, we're competing, this team's going to win a lot of games before it's all said and done, that fires me up to hear that. Absolutely. Ab- ab- absolutely does. Hey, I got. I want to – can I jump off the blues and go to an NHL topic and get your guys' thought on something? If, if, if you will, number one, before we do that, if you will, please remind folks, Curbs, what the 21 playoffs, format is oh well that, that's a good point why don't i remind everybody what they're listening to although it's a podcast so you already know what you're listening to it's bourbon biscuits and barn burners uh with tim woodburn john hadley i'm chris kerber tim woodburn a a long time a hockey play-by-play man a hockey executive throughout minor league hockey as well an author a private investigator he's done it all john hadley longtime editorial consultant uh, for cbs sports for fox sports uh, runs and, and, and owns a radio station now, 590 The Fan, KFNS in St. Louis. So uh, you've got your experts talking to you on this podcast each and every week. The way the playoffs work this year, although we have to, I'm not even sure how it's going to work in terms of divisions playing divisions, but the first two rounds of the playoffs are in the divisions. Top four teams make the playoffs. It's that simple. There's no wild card. You've got to be a top four team. And the only question mark is, is every team going to get 56 games in and you can go by the points? Or are some teams going to fall short and you've got to go by points percentage? And that's where it gets a little nerve-wracking 
when you've struggled for a 10-game stretch like the St. Louis Blues have. All right, yesterday, yeah. yesterday, John, um, Montreal Canadiens became the first team this season to change a coach. Now, I got to think that Mark Bergevin, much as I love the guy, respect the man, and, and you know, I, he, he's so kind and, and great to me as, as a player and, and as, as he, or when he was a player here and then, of course, as a general manager. But from just a pure job of the general manager's standpoint, I have to wonder if he just fired his last bullet. It's it's another coaching change. You, made. you, had, you brought in Michel Therrien. You fired him with time left on his contract when Julian became available, when the Bruins let him go. And now you've let him go. And and you've got an interim head coach, Desharm, who's was on your coaching staff the last couple of years. But this is his first time as a head coach at the pro level. He was a head coach at junior hockey in the Quebec League before uh, being hired by the Montreal Canadiens. So a lot of focus right now is on Mark Bergevin. The Montreal Canadiens started off really well. And then in that division, they've now slipped a fourth. So they're trying to stem the tide, just like the St. Louis Blues did in 1819 when they changed uh, Craig Berube for Mike Yo. Right, the reality of it is, and Montreal's still in a good spot, and that is the Montreal Canadiens are a team that should finish comfortably in that North Division from a playoff standpoint, especially with as bad as Vancouver and Ottawa have played, and as average as Calgary has played. But my question is this, and I'm gonna, I mean, I'm. I, it's kind of crazy because how, how stupid do you have to be as a, as, as a commentator to say go against uh, a player's vote on things? Because the players, when they vote for the top goaltender in the league, they still vote for Carey Price. Carey Price has been as much of an issue for the Montreal Canadiens, in my opinion, as the rest of that team or as a, a general manager making decisions. I, It's just inconsistent. You know how we started talking about Jordan Bennington might have to win some games one nothing, 2 to one for this team to have a chance? I mean, there have been times where the Canadians have needed that from Carey Price and they just haven't gotten it. And yeah, in the end, I know there's some great years where the win totals have hit 35 and all that. But I mean, Jake Allen's numbers this year are better than Carey Price's again. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm telling you, for a 10 mil, for a goaltender that you've got under contract for five more years and he's already 33, I'm, I, that's a question mark for me right now. And can he get it done? Sure, we've seen him. But I'll tell you what, he's been awfully inconsistent with his play at times that, that, that makes me scratch my head how he gets all the love in the world that he gets. And Allen has played spectacular this year for them. Jake Allen, he started seven of their 18 games. 2.14 to Price is 2.95. His state percentage is a monster, 932. Price is his under nine. Uh, and, and when they're a team battling for a playoff spot in fourth place right now with the fourth and final spot, you have to wonder how much more Dick Allen will play contract or no contract situation with Carey Price. Carey Price has become one of the big enigmas in hockey because when when athletes live off the past for too long, uh, that means that they've deteriorated. And Carey Price has lived off the past too long. Well, I, I, I assure you that most teams do not go into postseason play anymore thinking, Oh damn, we've got to face Carey Price for the next seven games. That's no longer a mindset. And ironically, tonight I, I think as we speak tonight, they're playing Winnipeg with a guy that, if you're not a hardcore hockey fan, you probably never heard of. 
by the name of Hellebuck, <laughs> who might very well be the better goalie right now. Oh, he In is. Fact, I think he is. No, he is. And by the way, if you haven't heard of Hellebuck, you're going to hear of him because he, he's most likely going to be the starting goaltender for the U.S. Olympic team in a year. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, you use the word enigma. I I don't understand the whole Artemi Panarin situation very oh, well. Oh, jeez, you know, oh, got, got. I mean, you've got a guy in Andre Nazarov who who I uh, rode a bus with for a while. He was in the minor leagues with the Sharks for uh, for a bit when I was in their system. And, you know, he's now the head coach of a, of a team in Russia. And Artemi Panarin is Russian. And he has spoken out against uh, the imprisonment of a political figure in Russia. And so Andre Nazarov decides it's time 10 years later to make a statement that 10 years ago, Artemi Panarin threw an 18-year-old girl down to the floor in a bar and smacked her around a little bit, which he denies. And yet he still takes a leave of absence from the team when the guy's making over $8 billion a year. Can, can somebody explain that to me? No, I can't. There's, and here's the thing. I don't even know what to think about it, Tim, because I, it would be so, like, I don't even know how to think about it other than there's, I don't know what you, there's no way that what you can trust right now is what's coming out. Like this, this one, this one's going to be a distraction for a while. This one is nuts. I mean, when you start getting into stories that start to deal with political vendettas and things like that from a standpoint over in Russia, holy smokes, look out. Well, the only thing that makes sense to me is is the security of his family at this point, because I know this has happened in baseball with players from South America, Venezuela, and places like that where they've been kidnapped or their family members have been kidnapped for ransom and players have taken a quiet leave of absence to try and negotiate. That's the only thing that makes sense to me because if you're not guilty, why leave the team? Unless you're worried about the security of your family or, or something else because we're not talking about Canada here. We're talking about the USSR. <laughs> Dude, we're, and, uh, we're talking about a, a country that poisoned a political, uh, oh, a political activist. Absolutely. Who then came back to the country and was taken straight to jail. Right. I mean, we're right. It's, 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 I, I can't imagine more, more drama for a team to go through than the New York Rangers right now with that. All right, you're bringing me down, Tim. You're bringing me down. I don't want to think about life. Every time we talk about sports, it's a means of, of getting away from real life. So I'm going to ask you a question. During your travel, have you ever been to St. John's, Newfoundland? Oh. Because I am watching another Canadian series, and it's based in St. John's. It's called The Republic of Doyle. It's not a great detective uh, show, but for some reason, it's caught my fancy, so I'm like, well, three-quarters of the way. But St. John's, Newfoundland, to me, and I've got to believe that you were curved, that both of you have been there, looks like it's just an absolutely glorious, glorious, beautiful place to visit. Well, I, I curve. Let me tell my story, and then you can tell one. You got it. I only went there. I only went there one time in my entire in my five years in the American Hockey League. We only we only traveled there one time. First of all, you can only get there by boat or by ferry or by plane. It's it's, it's a rock. It's an island. It, it it's so far northeast that it's an hour and a half. How they how they figured out a half? I don't know. It's an hour and a half That's ahead right. of Eastern time zone. And you know, I think I think the tallest building on the on the rock. Is only four stories tall. I and and they call the it the Rock, story. John. They call it the Rock uh, because it is a rock. It's just a big rock in the middle of the ocean that that they built the city on. But being a radio guy, John, you'll love this. I, I get in a cab the one time I was ever in St. John's, Newfoundland, 
I get in a cab and I tell the guy to take me to uh, a sports bar where I wanted to, I wanted to watch a game and our hotel was nowhere near any restaurants or anything. And this guy says, okay, okay, fine. He talks like this. You know, they all talk like Wisconsin on steroids, you know, hey, and, and, uh, and, and it's even hard to understand them at some point. Their, their dialect is so, is so intense. And this guy goes, I little, listen to a little bit of music, pal. I said, yeah. And he turns the radio on, and it's a radio station, right? On CD, not just that. It's a radio station. And the station is playing polka music. <laughs> and I said, is that polka music? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, that's, a, that's my favorite station. And I said, I don't think there's a station in America right now that has polka. He goes, oh, he goes, it's the number one station in town. And, and there's another one. And he hits the button. He goes, one of those five-button radios uh, in the car, you know, where you hit five pre-programmed stations. He hits the button, and he hits the button for the competing polka radio station in the town. Battle of the polka. Oh. It was unbelievable. Oh, listen. It was unbelievable. I'll never forget as long as I And the ratio of women to men there, by the way, at the time was like five or six to one women to men because the men all had to leave the island to find work. So uh, if you were a single guy, it was a real fun place to be. Listen, it so, John, first off, there's also a huge Irish population there. Okay, so if you ever get a chance to go to St. John's, Newfoundland for St. Patrick's Day, go ahead and do it. It'll be an experience of a lifetime for you. All right, but <laughs> we so I, we, we were out there in, the, in, in my four years in the American League, we were there twice. Right? And here's a, couple of, here's a couple of barn burners. This, this, this is a spectacular barn burner segment, John. Way to go on this. All right, we, we, I mean, I, and just because you brought up St. John's Newfoundland and it's a Canadian series you're watching for the rest of this segment, we'll call you Squirrely Dan. So the uh, uh, yeah, how are you doing today? Take off about five percent there, Squirrely Dan. So <laughs> the uh, the Ron, former St. Louis Blue Ron Wilson, who had the nickname of Dog, right? One of my favorite guys I've ever met in this business. We get on the plane to fly there. So we, we had just played in Fredericton, and, and then we bust, and we're going to get on the plane to just jump over to and to um, to St. John. St. St. John's. you got to make sure you put the S, because if you don't, it's St. John, New Brunswick, but this is St. John's, Newfoundland, right? right? And he's like, he's just, man, he's got the sweaty palms going, and I'm like, gee, dog, I didn't know you didn't like to fly. Okay, he tells you a great story. Well, I don't know how great it is at this point when you think about it, but he goes, flying ever used to bother him. And then they were on a commercial flight when he was playing in the National Hockey League, and there was a group of people that got on the flight, and it turns out this group of people was a group of people that were just going through flight therapy to learn how to get over their fear of flying, right? (laughs) And I guess one of the guys is just a mess. He sits down in front of Dog and... Ron says something like, what, are you scared of this thing going down or something like that? And the guy goes, that's it. I'm out. And he gets up off the plane and, <laughs> and leaves, okay? So karma bites Ron in such a big way because at this point, Ron hates flying. It bothered him for a week. He's white knuckle flying on his puddle jumper to get to get over uh, onto the rock. So that's how the trip starts. Now, the other problem that happened, and, and they for the longest of time, they were affiliated with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and, and it was such a great classic minor league building. And in the one end, they had, you know, a big old picture of the Queen of England angled on one side. The guys would try to bang with the hockey puck, right? And uh, and, and they would. So every now and then you'd see a, a shot hit the post and then rifle off of the, the Queen in the end zone. So the one issue you had, though, is if you had a scheduled flight out in the evening or at night, 
because it, it's it's such a maritime rock, the fog would roll in. So we were there for two games. At the end of the game, we're supposed to fly out, and they say, uh, and, and Dave Farish was our head coach, and and he says, and they said, well, we got some problems. We can't uh, we can't fly out. The fog's going to roll in. We're going to, um, you know, we're going to go back to the hotel and then see if we can get out a little bit. So we're sitting in the hotel. It's like ten o'clock. It's like ten thirty. And, and Dave wasn't real big on players going out and getting drunk. You know, um, he kind of became one of the, one of those coaches that that tried to control things in that way, right? And which, as you know, never really goes over well with players. Man, it must have hit about twelve o'clock. It's 11, 30, 12 o'clock somewhere in there, and the bars are open for a couple other hours. And Rob Murray, who is just an absolute absolute grizzled veteran, Crash Davis of, of minor league hockey when it comes to penalty minutes. And Rob Murray says, we're not flying out tonight, fellas. And he comes over, he looks at Dave Ferris, he goes, Farley, nice try, we're out of here. And he grabs all the players and says, get us our rooms. And then they all took off and just tore up the town. The rest of we didn't leave till the – and, of course, because he, he kind of caught the coach trying to stall him, and he made sure that he got the players out. And, my God, did we have a great time in that city. It, if you ever get – it's a – it's a good place to go visit. You wouldn't think about it, but but go do it. It's worth the extra half hour time zone, right, Tim? I had a blast there. I mean, it was it was it was like I was in a, and I was in a different country, but it was like I was in a different country other than Canada. Just the, the way people talked and the way that they acted, and 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 just the whole intimacy of the town and the and the, the, the dynamics of their economy up there. It was. Uh, it would have been. It's, you know, it's a place I would have enjoyed spending a summer at. Actually, it was never really never. easy for the Maple Leafs to get their player there from a call up. I mean, you had to do some. Even even though Toronto's in the Eastern Time Zone, you had to do some travel to get there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The I did my. I, I tried to do my due diligence on the old computer, hitting the World Wide Web. You have all these beautiful photos, all these suggestions, people saying. Just like you guys, how fun the town was, this and the other thing. And then I run across this <laughs> St. John, Canada's STD capital. <laughs> wait, no, no, wait a minute. I just want to well, make sure you cut out. Did you, say, for that. Yeah, did you say St. John's or St. John? Let's make sure we had the right one. You said with the S, right? No, St. Yeah, St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland, okay. the STD capital of the world, or uh, Canada, something like that. Okay, well, well, listen. When the so fog what, comes in, it's sometimes hard to get the penicillin shipments around. That's all I'm saying. What St. Louis's excuse for being that in this country? Uh, uh, the fog from the Mississippi. Oh, okay. I'll run, run with that. Oh, that's a good one. Or the fact uh, that you can't go out at nighttime in this city. Yeah. Oh man. Listen, fellas, it's been a great week. Uh, I know there's some angst amongst uh, Blues fans, and it's it's understandable, but hopefully we kind of put it all into perspective for you a little bit, some good barn burners. We'll get back to recommending a good bourbon next week as well. But uh, have yourself a terrific week, and uh, thanks, fellas. I love this hour each and every week. Sounds good. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, boys. That is Tim Woodburn. That is John Hadley. I am Chris Kerber, and you've been listening to Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. And we may even ask St. John's Newfoundland this week for a little bit of a sponsorship from their uh, visitor and convention bureau. Have a great week, everybody.